welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. Well, again, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, is the text we're going to look at, and the title of this morning's message is Influencers. Influencers. Uh, when, you, when I think of that, I, I thought of really social media. What is an influencer? And over the past four years, that's been a big part of marketing. Uh, mark, uh, companies will look to social media types, people that have a big following on social media. They're called uh, influencers. They have a lot of followers, whether it's on Instagram or, or Twitter or Facebook, uh, even on YouTube. They might have many subscribers to, to their channel. And marketers will look for these people so that they might use them to further their product, further their ideas, in hopes that as they give product to these influencers, these influencers would showcase them on, with a post, with a video of some sort, talk about them, and then those followers would then uh, purchase those products or agree with those ideas and, and thus uh, helping the company. So that's what influencers are in our society currently. And it's no different for us as believers because you and I as believers in the church are also influencers. We are called to be influencers for the cause of Christ. Not for our own fame, not for any product, but for the gospel. And to bring glory in particular to God. And I'd like to show you before we get into this text a few verses where we see that uh, being taught by Jesus himself. Let's first look at the God, uh, Matthew chapter 28. Turn there with me. And we're going to look at verses 19 through 20. And this is before uh, the ascension of Christ, where he calls his disciples and other believers together. And this is what he says. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So here Jesus calls His followers together and gives them what we know as the Great Commission to go out into all the earth and influence by way of making disciples. Use their influence to advance the kingdom of God. He said this again in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We read, as he's talking to the disciples again about their sphere of influence, uh, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jeru and Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So again, here God is calling his disciples to go out and make disciples. Use your influence through the power of the Holy Spirit, not only in the areas that you live in, but to the remotest parts of the earth. And we today, here in uh, 2020, are the fruit of that influence of believers taking these verses and creating missions and going out into all the world, whole uh, types of uh, churches and people moving to different continents 
and taking the gospel there. We are direct descendants or, or uh, fruit of that ministry. And so this is the influence that believers are called to have. Again, it's not an influence uh, for ourselves, but it's for God. And as you think of this, you might be thinking, well, who am I that I can be of any influence, you know, whether it's uh, on social media, if you're thinking of yourself, hey, well, I'm not an influencer on social media. I only have like 100 followers. I don't have thousands of followers. Why does God choose to use me? Well, there's an answer to that, and that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26, God is speaking of how or why He uses who He chooses to use in this world. I mean, wouldn't it be great if God uh, chose one of the top ten influencers in the world, radically saved them, transformed them, and used them for the cause of Christ? Wouldn't that be more effective than using me or you who's watching this this morning? We might think so, but in God's economy, He doesn't choose to do it that way. He may use that person. But if you look at the text, it kind of gives us insight into why he doesn't do that all the time. He says this, For consider your calling, brethren, that, we're not, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, and not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, so that he might nullify things that are. So that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who become to us wisdom from God. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. This is a long way of saying God chose to use those things that aren't powerful, that aren't the most noble things. Might not be a compliment to myself or to anybody else, but God said, I'm going to choose the weak things of this world, the things that look weak in this world, to confound the strong, to confound the wise, so that everyone will know that it is God who's doing it, that God himself receives the glory and not some famous influencer not some great communicator, not some great politician. God himself and God alone deserves all the glory. And, and so that is why God chooses to do the things the way that he does. He wants the world to know that it is God and God alone. It is not the people that he uses. And so that's exactly what the text says for us this morning as, as we look at it. Now, let me, let's read it quickly and then we'll come back and discuss it uh, point by point. And so this is what Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount. So this is a, a topic within an entire sermon that Jesus gave. And he's talking to his disciples or his believers, the multitude, it says, or crowds in verse 1 of chapter 5. But we're picking it up in verse 13. And this is what he says to them. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. 
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does any light, anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So here before us in this text, we have uh, really the really two points where God is going to make, or Jesus is going to make for us how we are to be influencers. But before we get to that, I want to go to the very end of that, specifically in verse 17, or verse 16, I'm sorry, where we are told the purpose of becoming an influencer. Again, we're not influencers in this world or called to be influencers in this world in a way to puff ourselves up, to gain fame. You know, to be a great and famous Christian believer that they write books about. Or your sermons are, you know, a great pastor whose sermons are broadcasted all over the world and they become world-renowned and go on the teaching circuit. No, that's not why. We're not influencers for fame and fortune. And we're not even influencers so that we can become saved. Again, this is directed at believers, not people who are going to believers so Jesus is not saying, and I don't want you to misunderstand, that, hey, in order for me to be a believer, to be saved, I have to do A, B, and C. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, because you are a believer, you are salt and you are light. So the, but the purpose for his calling for you to be an influencer, again, is in verse 16. It says, so that, he says, let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's for the glory of God that we are called to be influencers. Our entire being as believers, our entire, and our, our entire purpose is laid out before us here is that we are to do things in order to bring glory to God. So that people might see God and desire to follow after Him. So the first point this morning is that we are influencers in order to bring glory to God. That is our purpose. We are influences in order, or influencers in order to bring glory to God. We live our lives for the glory of God and not for ourselves. Uh, if you were brought up maybe in a more formal uh, church, you had catechisms. Uh, whether it was in the Catholic Church or the Evangelical Protestant Church. Uh, th there's one catechism that was written in 1646, and it's called the Westminster, or Westminster Shorter Catechism. And this was a catechism that was really a summary of, of Christian doctrine. It was 107 questions and answers that were written in order for pastors or teachers to help their congregation understand what they believe and why they believe it. They are taught to adults and to children. And the very first one in this catechism is important to uh, what we're talking about this morning, and I like it a lot, was, was this. The first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is this. What is the chief end of man? Or what is the purpose of man? What is his goal in life? The answer to that is this. A man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Our entire purpose as believers is to bring glory to God and glorify Him. And we're focusing on that first one. 
we're bringing glory to God. As a believer, that should be our mindset, that I want to live my life in such a way that I bring glory to God. Everything that I do, my entire being should be wrapped up in the desire to bring glory to God. And that should affect every aspect of our life. There's a Latin saying that came out of the Reformation in the 17th century. And it was a a summary of the works of God uh, in salvation. And they were devised in what's called the five solas. And one of those... uh, again, the pertaining into the context of this morning, is, is one that I wear on my wrist on a bracelet. It's one of the five solas. And in Latin it says, soli deo gloria, which means giving glory to God alone. The reformers wanted the church to know that we give glory to God alone for our salvation. It isn't anything that we do. And I wear this to remind me, and I don't always do it, that my life should be wrapped up in that. That I want to bring glory to God in all that I do, in every aspect and walk of my life. And I really believe that this should be a heavy, a heavy burden on believers. That we bring glory to God so that other people might come to know God. Is that your heart as a believer this morning? That you want to see men and women around you Maybe men and women you don't even know see on television or out in in the society that, man, I want them to come to know the Lord. And I want my life to be about helping people come to the Lord. This should be a heavy concern in the believer's life. For those people that are missionaries and travel the world and give up their lives to take the gospel to foreign countries, third world countries, different areas, whether it's in short-term missions or long-term, That is their burden. They're concerned for the lives of other people. And they go out and take the gospel to all areas of the world. This has been my prayer for so long as as a believer. Uh, I wasn't brought up in the church. My parents weren't believers. We never went to church. I became a believer first. And a heavy burden of mine for, for many years was, Lord, I want my family to come to know the Lord. I want my mom and dad my brother and sister, to come and know the Lord. And I remember praying for 20 20 long years that God would transform my mother and father's heart. And praise God that He did. My dad has now since gone to be with the Lord. My mom is still with us, and hopefully she's watching this morning. And if she is, good morning, Mom. Uh, Shout out to my mother. And if she's not, then then I will scold her for not watching her son. No, for not being at church this morning. But that was one of my prayers, to see God transform my mother and father. And I wanted to live my life in such a way, and I was out of the home when they became uh, believers, that that would happen. And sometimes it's just through prayer. And sometimes, as we'll see as we get into the text this morning, it's the way we live in front of them. The same thing holds true for my wife and I, Mindy. Uh, we, uh, since we've had children, our prayers and our priorities in life have always been about raising our children in the ways of the Lord. Again, not so that we could be called great parents or, or be oh, what such godly parents these are, but no, so that our children might grow in their own lives and come to know God on their own. Right? It is our responsibility to raise them in the ways of the Lord in hopes and really in prayer, that they themselves will one day choose to follow the Lord. 
Even after they leave the home, we want them to continue to follow the Lord. Nothing has been more important to us in our, in our lives. So everything that we've done, we've tried to do it around making God central in our own individual lives, in our own marriage, in our home, and so that our children would see that and they would be drawn to the Lord. So again, this should be the believer's heavy concern. So how are we to be influencers in this world? As we look back at our text now, Jesus gives us two ways to do that in this morning's text. Again, number one in verse 13, he says, You are to be the salt of the earth. And what that means is this, and I'll explain it in a moment, but here's, if you're taking notes, this is going to be your point. We influence the world by slowing the spread of moral and spiritual corruption. That is the main point. We influence the world by slowing the spread of moral and spiritual corruption. Now, why do I say that? Well, again, think of the illustration that Jesus gives here. He says, you are salt. And what is salt if you think about salt? Well, salt does a number of things. It's an additive, right? It, it, it's a mineral that adds flavor to uh, food. It'll, you put a little salt on your food and it adds flavor to it. Uh, it also can be used to develop thirst. Right? It causes you to be thirsty if you put salt on things as well. Think of your popcorn that you may eat. You know, you always want to have something to drink after you eat popcorn or maybe while you're eating popcorn. Salt has had many uses throughout world history. A matter of, as a matter of fact, when I was preparing this sermon, I was looking for a book called Salt. It's a real exciting book called The History of Salt. And I was, I was hoping to get it. I, I didn't have time to. It was like a 400-page book anyway, so I knew I would have read it in time. But I just wanted to learn more about salt. Maybe it's something I'll do later. But anyways, salt had many uses throughout world history. It's been used as fertilizer. It's been used as, uh, as money, as bartering to exchange. And it's also been used to, as a preservative, right? Salt was used to slow down the spread of corruption in food. And that's the focus, and that's the point I think Jesus is saying here, is that you as believers are to slow the spread of moral and spiritual corruption just like salt. So how do we do that? Right? Jesus says that's who we are. Each and every one of us as believers are salt. So how do we you know, stop the spread and slow the spread of corruption? Well, the first thing that we need to do is to do it within ourselves, each of us as individuals. Right? We already have the Spirit of God living within us. And on a daily basis, we grow closer to Him. That's called sanctification. It's called growing in holiness. Right? Preventing corruption. That's something as believers, you and I struggle with on a daily basis. You know, trying to do the right thing. Growing closer to God. Learning what between right and wrong in God's eyes. And we have the power to do this because we are filled with God's Spirit. We are to slow the spread of moral decay, not only in our lives, but we're called to do it in the rest of the world. Again, believers are to be the, the salt of the earth, he says. Right? To go out into all the world and slow corruption. Well, how do we do that? Well, you might even think in your own personal life, you've already started to see the effects of that. You go around and hang out with certain people and they know you're a believer. And out of respect for you and, and hopefully more out of respect for God, 
They might not use foul language. They might not watch certain shows or act certain ways or say certain things because you are there. You're that salt in, in one sense. Whether they think it's good or bad, that is the reality. And Christians have had that effect on society throughout church history. But there's also the, the flip side of that is we can uh, even have a negative effect when we ourselves are not being salt. We are not slowing corruption in our own lives. We become hypocritical and that effect kind of stops our witness. It, kind of, it slows our own influence in this world. I'm reminded of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 verses 3 through 5 where he's telling uh, the parable, a very famous one about you know, not judging one another. And he says, and the reason for this here in this context is because you know what? You're over here pointing out everybody's problems when you yourself have that exact same problem in a much grander scale. And he uses this uh, vivid illustration in Matthew chapter 7 when he says this, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? So your brother has a small little speck in his eye, but do you not notice, but, but, excuse me, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? So you notice the little speck in your brother's eye, he says, but not the big log that is in your eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? Behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So in a sense, we can hinder our own influence by living hypocritical lives as believers. Now, obviously, we can't be perfect, and we will never be perfect, and we will constantly struggle. But we can't live so blatantly against God's laws and expect to be influential in this world. That's the point of that, uh, of that story in Matthew 7. And one, and I want to share a, a personal story from my own life that's, well, not personal story, but a verse that's very personal, personal to me that really has helped me in this area of my life. And that's in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 13 through 14. And in 2 Samuel, this is a famous story of uh, Nathan the prophet coming to King David and exposing David for the sin that he has committed with Bathsheba. A very famous story, you know, uh, pa uh, David, the uh, king of Israel, the most famous king, one of the greatest kings of all of ancient Israel, a man who is said to be after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart, create, uh, committed a heinous sin of stealing a man's wife, impregnating her, and then having that man go out to battle on the front lines so that he would be killed in hopes to cover up the sin that he had committed because this woman had now become pregnant. And so Nathan comes to King David after all this has happened and he says this. He says, uh, or he exposes David's sin and then David, I'm sorry, replies to Nathan and says this. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. So he's admitted I've sinned. And God's going to forgive him as Nathan says. The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. So even though David's forgiven of his sin, there's still going to be some ramifications. And it's the ramifications that I want to point out in our lives that have an effect on our influence. And he says this, However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord 
to blasphemy. So he said, you know what? Because of what you've done, David, now the enemies of God have reason to blaspheme God's name. So you didn't bring glory to God's name by this act. You've brought blasphemy to God's name. And as I said, that's very personal for me because I think about that is I don't want to, as a believer, be the reason that somebody doesn't come to the Lord, that they can look at my life and say, you know what? If that's what a believer is and he lives like that and he doesn't really practice what he preaches, he treats his children this way or his wife some way or co-workers that way, then I don't want to do that. That, if that's what a Christian is, that's not going to be me. No, I want to live in such a way that people will see what I do and want to know the Lord more. Again, not praise me, but praise the God that I serve. And so that's a verse that's, that's always kind of comes to mind in my life to keep me on the straight and narrow. So how are we to be influences in this world? Again, we have to first start with ourselves. It really starts with us as individual believers living a life that can bring glory to God. And then as we do that, we can help those around us, right? We're a witness to the rest of the people in our lives, whether it's our immediate family, our co-workers, uh, friends outside of the home. We can be effective, right? Again, not getting in the way of our own witness. We can, in essence, show people what it means to be a believer. That's what God wants to do through us. And this is what the Apostle Paul told, uh, told uh, the church uh, through Titus in Titus chapter 2. Look at verses 7 through 8 with me. That's Titus chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. He says this, In all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds. That's the goal. Show yourself an example. Why? He says this in a moment. Well, how do you do it? With purity and doctrine dignified in sound speech, which is beyond reproach, right? Why? So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. We don't want people to be able to point to us and say, well, you say you're a Christian, but you do A, B, and C. Is that what a Christian is? No, you, you want them to really just persecute you because you're doing what Christians are supposed to do. And that's what Jesus said at the beginning of, of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which Pastor John covered a little bit of in the first uh, weeks of this series in chapter 5, right? That we're going to be persecuted for our beliefs. But don't let it be because you are being a hypocritical believer. So again, as believers, we want to have influence in the world by slowing the spread of moral and spiritual corruption. Let's move on to the second point. Back to our text now uh, in... Matthew chapter 5, specifically in verse 14. So he says, you're the salt of the earth. Now he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So we are called here to be influencers by reflecting the truth of God's ways. We influence the world by reflecting the truth of God's ways. That is the second point. So what does that mean, that we are the light of the world? Well, he gives an example here. He says, just like a city on a hill that would have, in ancient times, that was really bright because of what it was made from, it would reflect the light of the sun and would give light to every town around it. It was to stand out and help. 
Not only that, he says lights also give light to the entire house, right? When you turn on a light, you don't cover it unless you're trying to dim the light. But he's saying, no, you set it on a lampstand so that it can illuminate the area. And that's the point of our influence is that we are to illuminate the area by living out the truth of God's ways. Our lives as believers should be light to those around us. So when they see the way that we live, it is a light for the Lord. It, it causes them and desire and gives them desire to know the Lord that we serve. Right? Jesus actually says, if you go to John chapter 13 and look at verse 35, Jesus gives us one thing that if we live in such a way will help people uh, that will be a light for him, that will help people know that we're his disciples. And he says this to the, to the apostles and the followers at that time. He says this. He says, By this all men will know you are my disciples. How will all men know this? He says, If you have love for one another. So Jesus here, the preceding uh, verses and even chapters, is describing what real love is. Love as God sees love. And he says, he raises the standard in essence. He says, if you love this way, then people will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. The way that you treat one another. The way that you care for one another. The way that you show that you love one another. When I, when I do marriage uh, premarital counseling and uh, the few times that I've done it here, I've had the privilege of doing it, the first thing that we start with is, uh, can be found in Ephesians. We're not going to go there this morning. But I tell the husband and wife, you know what? That your marriage isn't just about you. That your marriage, because as it's described in Ephesians 5, is actually reflections of Christ's love for the church. In particular, the husband. The husband had said that they're to love the wives as Christ loved the church. And so husbands... As you love your wife, I tell them, this is a reflection of God's love for His church. So everybody sees the way you love your wife, and it should be exemplified and modeling Christ's love for the church, right? He goes on in Ephesians say, uh, that um, love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving yourself for her. And husbands are called to love their wives by giving themselves for her, not by treating her bad, not by using foul language out or making fun of her, demeaning her. No, they're to love their wives as Christ loved the church. It's an example, this higher standard of what love is to be. And so when I talk to, to uh, uh, couples about getting married or even after marriage, that's what you're striving for. Is that your love, it, it's elevated by Christ because your love is a reflection to your children, to your friends, your family, of how God loves His people. And this is to be an example, not just in the marriage. The New Testament talks us about our friends and in the context of John, the church, right? how you love one another in the church. People should see our love as believers for one another and know that there's something different about it. We don't treat our friends and family like everybody else does. Love means a lot more than just being nice. I had a conversation with somebody a few weeks ago, and there we were talking about love, about what love is. That you know, the Christian church is supposed to be about love, right? So why do they quote unquote exclude certain people? 
Why don't they let people love who they want to love? Well, Jesus elevates love in Scripture uh, throughout the pages of Scripture to describe what real love is. Right? Love doesn't mean that, hey, we don't tell somebody that something's wrong. That was their point. It's like, you can't tell somebody the way that they're living is wrong or who they love is wrong. You're supposed to love everybody just like Jesus. Yes, but Jesus did point out that certain things were wrong. And when you point out that something is wrong, it doesn't mean that you don't love them. It means that you do love them. I mean, think of it in, a, in the context of your own family. When you tell your children, mom and dad, that they are not to do something, does that mean you don't love them? No, it means you're protecting them. There's, there's certain things in life that can hurt them, and they might not see it. And so the same thing with us as believers. When we tell society that certain things are wrong, it's not because we don't love them, but it's because we love them. A lot of the times the Christian church gets in the way, it's because of the way that they say it. A lot of times it's not the message, it's the messenger. Again, it goes back to that point is that we need to work on ourselves and not get in the way of the message. And so again, we are to love one another as Christ loved the church, or love our wives as Christ loved the church. And here in John 13, as I mentioned, the disciples are to love one another. This is how... The world will know that you are Jesus' disciples, right? So we are to illuminate our light by loving one another. Not only that, we follow the examples and the teachings of our Lord. That's another way that we uh, illuminate the area of our lives, whether it's in our homes or workplaces. In Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 18 through 13, you could turn there with your Bible, Ephesians 5, 18, excuse me, 5, 8 through 13 says this, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So here's that example, that now you are light. So there's an expectation as light. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists, so this is what the fruit of the light is. It consists in goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate into the, into, in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which were done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. So here Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus, is describing to them what light is. It consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And learning that, verse 10 says, and learning what is pleasing to the Lord, not pleasing to society. We learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago in an earlier sermon, is how do we learn what God's will is? How do we learn what goodness and righteousness and truth is? We learn it by reading His Scripture. This is our our sole information for what God loves, what God desires, how we are to live as Christians. It is all found here in Scripture. So therefore, we, we should live so brightly for Christ that people cannot help but notice that we've been with the Lord and then pray that God would use that to draw them to Himself. And so this is the message Christ is giving 
uh, to the church here in Matthew chapter 5. You are to be salt of the earth and you are to be the light of the world. So let's close with three final points here in application. And to do that, I want to turn you to the book of Acts. Uh, turn to Acts chapter 17 and look at verses 6 through 7. Acts 17. And so here we have before us in this story that Paul and Silas were coming to Thessalonica with the message of the gospel. And they had been traveling and transforming the areas that they've been in with the power of the gospel. And so they were coming to Thessalonica, and people didn't want them there. They didn't want this message coming to Thessalonica because they liked their society how it was. They didn't want things to be changed. And look with me in verse 6 and 7, and you can hear this from the people. So they go into this house of a man named Jason because they couldn't find Paul and Silas, and this is what they say. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities and shouting. So they were grabbing Christians out of their homes. And what were they saying? Why were they grabbing them? It says, these men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jake, Jason has welcomed them. And they act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. So it says these people were turning the world upside down, right? They were rocking the boat, so to speak, in their society, and they didn't like it. That's what Christians have been doing throughout all of world history. They have been, uh, you know, turning the world upside down, so to speak. Not conforming to society's norms. Again, if you look at verse 7, it says, they're saying, there's, they're speaking contrary to the decrees of Caesar, who was the king, and saying there's another king. Christians are still doing that today. You and I are doing that today. So you're like, you know what? We live in this world, and we follow the rules to a certain extent, but when they go against Scripture, we no longer follow society. We will rebel against them. Right? Society doesn't dictate to us what is right and what is wrong. Scripture dictates to us what is right and wrong. In a sense, we will turn the world upside down because we don't conform to society. In all actuality, I say let's turn the world right side up. That's what they were doing in Thessalonica. We need to turn the world right side up. So how do we do that? There's three ways that we do that. Number one, we need to grow, and we've talked about all three of these, just kind of summarizing them. Grow in our holiness. You and I as believers ourselves need to turn our world right side up, our own personal life right. So we, we know how we are living. Are we growing in our holiness or are we not? This is how we will be influential in this world. Secondly, we need to love those around us like Jesus loves them. Nobody loves our family and our friends, our spouse, co-workers more than Jesus. We need to learn how to love them just like Jesus does so that they will know that we are His disciple and pray that they will come to know the Lord. And then lastly, we need to have a love for those who are far from the Lord. There are many people who do not know the Lord. You may even be thinking of them this morning. Maybe they're even members of your own household co-workers, friends, family members. We need to have a love for them just like Jesus. Jesus died on the cross 
for them. We have this powerful message. We have the power of God's Spirit to be influential in their lives. Let us have a love for them like Jesus does. And if we do these things, pray that God will use us to turn our world right side up. Let's pray. Lord God, once again, we thank you for this moment that we've had to look into your word, to hear the words of your son, Jesus Christ, and how he spoke to the multitudes close to 2,000 years ago. I pray that those of us who are believers would hear his message today, and we would come to understand and know that we are salt and light, and that we can influence this world for God's glory. Give us the power to do that. Give us the courage to do that in our own lives, in our own homes, in our workplace, in our community, and in our world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.